Good morning, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Create Magic Podcast. I hope you all are having a lovely day. This is an extra special holiday episode. Well, kind of. It's an extra special episode because I get to talk to the amazing Barbara Fisher of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast and an amazing artist, fantastic writer and person, and so many other things that are uh, really fun to get into in this episode. But we get the holiday spirit up right at the beginning when Barbara jumps in telling us a beautiful uh, UFO Christmas encounter that takes place while preparing a Indian dinner for the family on Christmas Eve. And it's just one of my favorite anomalous encounters I've been told on this little show and uh, such a good way to start this whole conversation about artwork and creativity, the other and consciousness and a whole bunch of other just great stuff that Barbara has some wonderful thoughts on. So check out all Barb's links below and get ready to enjoy this conversation. Thank you again for hanging out with me through the holiday season and I hope it was a wonderful one for you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. stuff uh post podcast here so we'll just jump right in barbara can you tell you were just telling me off mic about some christmas ufo sightings do you mind uh diving sure. into that story for me yeah sure i will um so let's see it was 2019 it was before we started podcasting it was around when we were thinking about podcasting but we hadn't like done any prep work or anything <laughs> and uh as i said we had Indian food for Christmas that year. Um, so, you know, once, I don't know if any, anybody knows about it, if, if any of your audience cooks Indian food, but once it's on the stove, once you've done the prep, once you've ground all the spices and put it all together, all it has to do is simmer. And mm -hmm. so we turned it down low. We put the lid on it. Morgana said, mom, I need a cigarette. So we went to sit on the back steps. Um, our house is kind of weird. The main level is actually at second floor height. Okay. So, yeah. And then the second floor is at third floor height. Gotcha. So, you know, we're way up in the trees, yeah. you know. So the back steps are not like, you know, down on the ground. They're, they're one floor up. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there and... uh I had this weird thought as we were going out the door. Wouldn't it be funny if you saw a UFO? It came out of nowhere. It, it literally just popped into my head. Wouldn't that be funny? So I sat down with her and she was smoking. And we're both looking out into the, into the woods. Um, here it was cold. There were no leaves. So, you know, you can see the woods really well. And then off to the left are the lights of the town we live in, Athens. So, okay. they, you know, there were some lights down there. It was quiet. And there were, of course, a lot of airplanes going around because we're in the flight path to the Columbus International Airport, which is, what, 60 miles away from us. But we're in the approach coming yeah. from the east so you know we see him way up there absolutely and i'm looking at that i'm like yeah ufos uh yeah 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> and it's just, it's planes because it's Christmas Day, you know, so. Absolutely. I was like, okay, so. And then I started looking out back into the woods and stopped looking at the sky. And there's this one tree that's very distinctive right at the edge of the woods, at the edge of our um, property, which is a big hillside with mm-hmm. uh that's that's mowed but you can't really do much with it it's at a 45 degree angle yeah so deer live in there and eat and that's what they do and uh <laughs> perfect yeah yeah we have deer we have birds we have rabbits okay foxes occasionally so i'm looking at this big distinctive tree he's a very it's just a twisty gnarly looking tree and so i'm looking at it and there's a light and i'm like now oh, that must be that must be Venus. It's really bright. It looks like it's moving. Ah, it's probably not really moving. It's probably because it's a really clear night and it's cold. It's atmospheric disturbance. Yeah, that's what it is. It's not, it's not really moving. It's not, wow, that's going behind the branches of the tree. Oh, wow. And then I'm like, ah, oh, it's just my head moving. I don't know that I'm moving. I'm probably shivering. It's cold. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what. It, and I'm sitting there, and Morgana is contemplatively smoking her cigarette, and she's, I realize she's looking in the same direction I am, and I'm like, well, she hadn't said anything, so it's probably nothing. She's slightly, you know, down and to the left of me, so it's probably nothing. Yeah. Hey, Mom. What? You see that weird light? Uh, which weird weird light? It's straight ahead, and near that tree. She, yeah, it was going behind the branches. I went, oh, from your angle, it was going behind branches to you. Yeah. Now it's going up. I went, yeah, I noticed that. Uh, so we're sitting there. I'm like, honey, I don't think that's that's Venus. She goes, well shit no it's not venus mom venus is (laughs) off this way like towards the front of the house jeez you don't know your astronomy i'm like oh it's true (laughs) i don't (laughs) you know i can tell when it's mars because it's red and yeah i know jupiter because it's really bright you know but as to the position at the time of night that's too much movement you know i'm with you i'm with you i can't keep track of it yeah, but she she has a telescope and a, and a boyfriend who's into that. So they've awesome. they've determined where stuff is at various times. So she's like, no, mom, no, it totally can't be Venus, and it's not Mars because it's not red, and it's too big, and it's not Jupiter because it's moving like yeah. a lot. And so it was bouncing up and down, and it was a bright white, like kind of a bluish white. And so we're watching it, and then off to the like left something like is moving so I, I looked over and I'm like oh well there was another one and it was farther away and uh it was another bright white one but then it started changing colors and it started oh, wow. going through like the the spectrum you know Whoa. it started it started white and then went to like blue then green then yellow it was doing a backward wow. spectrum and i was like uh honey uh do you do you see anything over there? she goes yeah there's another one and it's changing colors and, and we just were like sitting there narrating to each other and then there was a third one and we were like what 
in the, and I'm like, okay, so you might think this is weird, but when we came out, I, I heard in my head a voice say, wouldn't it be funny if we saw UFOs? <laughs> and she was like, damn it, mom, it's your fault. And I said, no, it's not. You know, it's your fault because you put all the Christmas lights up in the house in the windows. And, and that's like a freaking landing strip for them. They probably think we're trying to talk to them like in Close Encounters. Oh, absolutely. you know, I'm like, this is weird. And it was they just kept doing weird things like wow. they started moving around kind of in a stationary circle. And then yeah. they'd move up. And, you know, the whole time I'm sitting there going, this could be, this could be a, a this, you know, just an atmospheric thing. It could, it, but then they'd mm-hmm. zip to one direction or another. And then we saw the freakiest thing. The thing that I thought was the weirdest was we'd watch jets come near them again, because okay. we're in the flight path. Yeah. And none of them had the FA, FAA lights. None of these weird lights yeah. had those the green, red, and strobe. Mm-hmm. None of them. Until a jet would come by and they would stop with their weird bouncing and they'd sort of move slowly in a stationary flight path, you know, instead of this weird, you know, zipping uh-huh. around, going in corners. Yeah. And they would put on red and green lights <gasps> that blinked and I was like, did you see that? And Morgana said, it's pretending to be a plane. And I said, Oh my God, it is. She's like, you know what, mom, we're both kind of crazy. Why don't you go in and see if, if Fox can see him, go get the, go get the, go get my brother. Let's see. So I went and got the, you know, 14 year old. I said, come out here and uh, Mm -hmm. just hang out here. And he's like, um, why are there lights? Like there aren't houses over there. That's not, I'm like, okay, well watch and tell us what it looks like. At about that time, the, the biggest one that had been over near the tree that had then, you know, moved up to be above the tree and then was doing all these weird little dances and stuff. Yeah. It started to sort of spew out smaller lights in colors so you know i figure it looked like a big orb we didn't have any binoculars of course mm-hmm. um telescope was all the way across town at morgana's house we were just you know we had none of that you still so, have indian food on the stove yeah and and indian food on the <laughs> stove we're not we're not driving across town even though it's like you know 12 minutes at the most with traffic it, still yeah we weren't gonna leave and a kid said, it looks like it's a big thing that's spewing out little things that are now flying around it and they're different colors. And I said, yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> and Morgana said, yeah, I saw that too. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go in and test the, you know, stir the Indian food and I'll come back, come right back. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want the curry to burn. So I run in and I'm, you know, I stir everything and I'm just like, that is fucked up (laughs) and zach is like where is everybody i'm like oh we're outside watching the ufos and he's like well i'm not gonna bother with that because he never sees anything hardly okay he was he was actually born legally blind he had full cataracts when he was a baby so he he can see now he's perfectly legally not blind Mm -hmm. um but he has you know lens implants and stuff and and Mm -hmm. he just 
he doesn't see little tiny things in the sky. I, he's only sense. and he's only seen weird lights once or twice. Yeah. Twice that he remembers, three times that one time he doesn't remember. So three all told. Gotcha. So he was just like, I'm not even going to bother. He's like, yeah. Is, is the kid seeing it too? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I didn't tell him what to look at. He just went out and was like, mom, why are there lights out here? <laughs> he was like, okay, so it is probably there. It's not just you and Morgana being weird. And I said, no, <laughs> it's, we're not just being weird, you know? So I ran back out and they're still watching him. And then Morgana looked at me and said, mom, they're going over the house now. And oh, they're, wow. they seem to be lower. And I looked up and there were these really zippy, zoomy, looked like lower because you could tell they were round and Mm -hmm. they were just flying over the house. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's something. Yeah. (laughs) Don't know how to respond to that. That's a thing. Um, (laughs) yeah. And so I, I texted one of our friends, um, who actually is now doing, um, helping us build a database out of Albert Rosales's humanoids um, yes. books. And so he, he, we had already started that before the, the podcast. And he, he, uh, he was like, you're seeing what? I said, I know you're all the way in Dayton, but see if there's anything out in your sky. And, and yeah. he didn't, he said there wasn't anything, you know, and I was like, yeah. well, Sorry. He's like, yeah, by the time I'd get there, three hours, four hours, yeah, they'd be gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I said, okay, I got to go stir the stuff because it was starting to thicken. So I go back in for the curry and then I hear feet behind me after I've gotten to the last, you know, mm-hmm. pot of curry. I hear Morgana and uh, Fox come running in and the back door slammed. And I was like, what happened? And they were like, oh, the ones that were over the house just got too close. And we decided we were done now and we yeah. didn't need to see any more. <laughs> so oh, so I was like, well, you know what? It's really a good timing because the curry is pretty much done. It is. It has reduced down. The sauce is thick. Wow. So it shows over. We're done. <laughs> Being called dinner by UFOs. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes. I, I... <laughs> yes. I love that. That story is amazing, Barbara. I I love that it was three UFOs on Christmas. That's mm-hmm. like perfect. Just like the three wise men or the three kings. There, there's yeah. just so much there. That's beautiful. And it man. was funny. It was so funny because we thought, okay, maybe it's just our family, right? We're weird. <laughs> we see stuff. These things sure. happen. But uh, Morgana went to uh, a meeting two days after Christmas and uh, one of her friends said, oh, yeah, it, it was telling something to somebody else. Oh, yeah, it was like really bright and it was up there and it was moving around. And she said, are you talking about the Christmas UFOs? And and the woman's like, oh, yeah. She's like, I saw it from like my house. And, and they, you know, she's down in the in the city. We're up on a high ridge. And yeah. so, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, you could see it from like, you know, down in the town, it, it was obvious. Now she didn't see all of them and she didn't have any like weird little things buzzing her house. I think that was totally probably that we were way up on the hill, but she was like, Oh yeah, we saw them. And then there was another person that Morgana found out had seen them. So it wasn't just us being 
yeah. freakish. So. <laughs> <laughs> Some confirmation. I also just love how these weird events allow you to interact with people you've never interacted with before. Like just overhearing that story and Morgana being like, wait, Christmas UFOs. And then, you know, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. talking to a whole new person that you've never talked to before about yeah. some of the weirdest stuff. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That that is this uh have you seen things like this before? I know I've me- heard you mention the lights on the podcast before. How frequent do you see these uh uh treetop lights? The little ones, the treetops or the, you know, almost ground level. That's what I see most of the time if I'm mm-hmm. going to see something strange. Yeah. Um and they're more frequent in the winter and the spring. Uh, but they do get a a big sort of boost around Halloween. They're, they they mm-hmm. seem to be around. Um, and then, you know, when we first moved into this house, we actually didn't see them for like the first year we lived here. And then the second year we lived here, we used to have a hot tub out back that was here when when we when we moved in, and so Zach and I would sit in the hot tub. And we could see into the backyard from the hot tub and, you know, lightning bugs would be doing their thing, you know, yeah. and then I'd start seeing weird colors that, you know, uh, lightning bugs don't come in like, you know, pink, oh, you wow. know, purple, yeah. red, <laughs> you know, and that's not lightning bugs. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, we're done with that. Um, and uh, so that's when it started but it didn't get really, really, really big for a while. That's mm-hmm. the thing. They Other people see them here in Athens fairly frequently, but okay. they don't, they're not in one spot very often for very yeah. long. They, they move around and you don't, it, it, they're like the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects <laughs> them, you know, it, they Absolutely. just appear, you know, mm-hmm. and, but, Morgana's theory is, is that she and I, because we've seen them so many times that I don't know, it's like we have a sign on our forehead that glows in special writing that only they can mm-hmm. see that says, Hey, come show me your weird stuff. <laughs> come be strange in my house, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah, we do see them. I would say at least once a month, at That's least. Awesome. Um, but a lot of times in the winter and she has some really spectacular sightings um, that, that she's had in the, in the winter. And, you know, both of us know, you know, don't follow the lights. Yes. Whatever you do, don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) don't, don't know. That's bad. No matter how pretty. (laughs) But even so, you know, she had one sighting, close to new year's last year i think it was close to new year's it was midwinter it was freezing cold and she was walking her dog and she lives at the edge of town so it's in a weird liminally kind of place and there's this strip of woods that if you follow it you end up to the river and, and okay. you end up at the bike path in a big park. And it's this wooded strip that you can just follow all along the river till you, you know, you're out of town. So it yeah. is a weird little place. And she's walking. That's... And she sees lights. Uh-huh. 
And for a second, it, she, it they were right next to that patch of woods. And she's on the, the, the street. And she's looking at it. And she's like, what is that? Because they seem to be spinning around each other oh, wow. and moving. And they were red, blue, and then a really bright light. Wow. White light, I meant to say. And she's like, what is that? And so she's so funny. She was like, oh, I bet it's one of those people that, you know, has those light balls and they juggle them. Yeah. You know, yeah with totally. the strings at festivals, <laughs> yep. you know, the stoner festivals. She's like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. probably what it is. She, never in her mind did she go, why would they be out past midnight in a freezing cold night? Generally, those hippies are allergic to cold. Yeah. And they only come out in the spring and summer and fall. So, you know, she didn't even well, think that. Yeah. So she starts walking toward it and she gets within about, she's, I think she said like 15 feet. She stopped at 15 and, and realized there wasn't a person. Oh, wow. And then her brain starts going, now wait just a damn minute. If it's not a person, and even as she was thinking that, her feet were moving forward. <laughs> While the dog is kind of going, no, 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 no. Mm. Uh, we don't do that. No. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. And he's the littlest, dumbest dog ever. <laughs> and so he, but he was like, no, we're not going there. You know, no, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely. and then she, she was like, she just stopped and she's like, what am I doing? <laughs> oh my God. And as soon as she spoke, they just scattered. Oh, wow. It's like once they realized that she wasn't going to come yep. forward, they were gone. They just wow. flew in all directions. And she's like, okay, it's time to go in the house. The dog was like, yes, I was trying yeah. to tell you that. <laughs> we're going to the house. That is wild. It's so crazy how that like attention seems to be so important. Like once you stop feeding the the attention or however you want to look at it, it's yeah. just like more, you know, like I I love that, and I love that. There's the colors and the aesthetics of the other are some of my favorite things. Like when yes. you go back to your Christmas UFO story, the ones that go through that light spectrum and then seem to like shed other light orbs out. That's my favorite stuff when it comes to like aerial phenomena on like i oh, don't yeah. really care about like ships or anything give me the bright weird lights forever like it just sounds yeah. so like ethereal yeah. and magical you know i, I love that that's the way i am i you know i mean i kind of grew up and we'd watch weird lights at my grandparents house up over the ridge um mm -hmm. they lived in uh putnam county up on top of a, a really high ridge Oh, wow. Um, so, and, and there were high tension lines and my grandfather would watch balls of light kind of just hover over those lines and the lines would glow and then they'd fly off. That's amazing. And he was like, I swear they're stealing electricity. I swear <laughs> it. That's what they're doing. They're stealing electricity. <laughs> That's hilarious. I've always thought that uh, that idea of like them here to steal resources is so like it's just it makes too much sense and is too silly at the same time. Like you know, yeah, it's one of those like things that, they like, flew all the way all here the way. to Putnam County, yeah, 
to steal your electricity. Oh. Yeah, I know. But at the same time, it's like, well, what if they were already here and that's what they exactly. do? And they've yeah, always it's... done that. Hmm. Then it makes yep. more sense. Totally. And I, you know, I think I like the idea that all of these things, there's room for everything in the weird. Like, you know, I'm definitely oh, more yeah. in the uh, imaginal, weirder side of things, uh, consciousness, spiritual stuff yeah. is where I would like to get to. But I still like to, you know, visit my monster stories and my nuts and bolts UFO stories because that's how I got into this. And there's like a nostalgia yeah. to it, especially with the kids now getting into stories and stuff. Like, there's like value to those, like, uh, kind of just really simple ghost stories or monster stories that they're oh, yeah. really loving. And yeah. it's been cool to introduce them to things like that for the first time. And, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's reintroducing me because I, I definitely like the more heady stuff on my general intaking. But it's nice to get back to the basics, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. You know? um, but yeah, I also, so I love to go back to your Christmas story again. The idea that this all started with dinner. Like I love that oh, yeah. like this, this started yeah. with the creation. Like it's a, it's an, a beautiful act of creating. Like I don't think people give enough of uh, how imaginative cooking is and like how you're tapping into that, you know, same imaginative zone that you are like when you're drawing or painting or writing mm -hmm. or anything else. But it's almost kind of more special because it's something that you're doing in service to the family or to the friends or the community, right. you know? So right. it's like, it's a little more selfless almost. And I love that starts your Christmas, uh, yeah. your Christmas UFO story. <laughs> yeah. It, and it, I never really looked at it that way before, but Indian food is an act of creation very much. Um, and, and for a while I was part of a... Uh, a community group called uh, Community Food Initiatives. Mm -hmm. And it's been around for, I think, 20-something years now. And I was on the board of it for like five years. And they they, they have a whole lot of things that they, they were doing. And um, they do seed saving and plant starting and then give the stuff away, right? Amazing. Um, and they work with farmers. One of the biggest programs they do, and they teach kids how to grow food and they teach kids how to cook food and, you know, eat food that's yeah. like not fast food, right? That's so nice. A <laughs> hundred and ten things you can do with kale, um, that kind <laughs> of stuff, you know. Absolutely. And for the big thing that they do, though, is at the farmer's market they have a stall and they accept donations of money and of produce. And then the money that they get, they go back to the farmers and buy produce from them. And Amazing. then they take it back to their headquarters and distribute it like the next day to, uh, different, uh, community groups that do, the, they either distribute it through food pantries. So we have food pantries coming in. We also have um, like halfway houses and, and church homeless shelters and all of this stuff. Churches that do uh, free dinners and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the people who make those uh, lunches for kids in backpacks 
yep. for the weekends. So all these different groups come and get the produce. And it's it's grown so much now we actually they actually have this thing called the veggie van and they take stuff to different little communities around our county. We we live in one of the poorest counties in Ohio. So oh, wow. Um, they take it around and people are free to come up to the veggie van and, and shop, except, mm -hmm. you know, they're not shopping. So that was their big thing. And for years they had a sort of a potluck dinner thing to raise money. And they, they, they were, they were struggling to raise money. Again, you have really good, well-meaning, intelligent people who don't know how to raise money. <laughs> yeah. You need Very somebody. Yes. You need somebody who knows how to do it. So when I first joined the board and I was listening to these travails and woes and for a while they had been doing like uh, wine tastings and, and people were like, you know, yeah, buying a thing of wine, but it wasn't, you know, and so I, I was listening to this and I was like, y you know, guys, um, I'm a chef and uh, we could do a really special dinner if, you know, that people, it's something that people wouldn't get otherwise. And yeah. we could do it with all local food. They could be vegetarian. And they were like, well, what's special about vegetarian? I was like, it, authentic Indian. I can actually do that. Yeah. And I'm like, we could get a couple hundred people and they would pay at least 15 bucks a plate 20. It, we could do it as a buffet, totally. you know, the way Indian restaurants and big cities do, we could do that. Yeah. And you know, it, for, they were so cynical and they had lost so much money trying to do fundraising that they were just like, no. <laughs> so I was like, no, really, I can, I can do this. The president of the, of the board and the, the, the director of the, you know, community food initiatives overall yeah. group believed in me because we'd been to college together and she'd eaten my food. She was like, no, really, she can do that. No, really, <laughs> really, we can do, we can do that. No, really. <laughs> she's got this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was just so much of i i don't even know you know yeah eventually i talked them into it and the first time we did it we had over 200 people um cramming our our building that was you know free for us the food was was from donated food so it was free i think we That's paid amazing. for the rice and then I bought the spices and stuff and it was, it was great. Everybody loved it. Um, you know, it, we had plenty of food for people and it got people to be aware of what we, we could do and what we did do. So yeah. to me, yeah, what you say about being a gift, that was very, and so I did that for like five years. That's amazing. Um, you know, and, and I'd have, volunteers helped me out every, you know some of them were the same people every year some of them were not and it was mm -hmm. really fun because there was only usually about one other person who had worked in a professional kitchen and we would um get lent the uh, community kitchen 
So we have oh, a, okay. a, a really cool community kitchen that you have to be trained how to use and all of this, but small mm-hmm. uh, food-based uh, businesses can use that kitchen so that they can sell commercially. So it's yeah. a, it's a big, big, big commercial kitchen. And so it was always fun to have volunteers come in and just be like, this is huge. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is cool. You will like it. And so I would have, you know, enough people that I could pretty much give each person one or two tasks and then they would do it. And then, you know, I could basically go around to everybody and it it was just fun. That's amazing. Um, and it, it kept, you know, at that point I had basically retired because I have fibromyalgia. Um, and so I would, you know, for a week, I would do that. And then I was like, okay, I have to hibernate now, but it was worth it because it brought so much recognition to people and to the group that it was, it was fun and it was great. And it very much has that sense of art for community service, you know, because when you cook, everything goes away at the end. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sit there. It doesn't hang in a museum. You know, nobody gets to to eat it forever. It yep. just, <laughs> you know, it's done. Once yep. once you've put it on the plate and made it pretty and passed it off to somebody, it's gone. Absolutely. You don't get to see it again. You don't get to, I mean, yep. I did a food blog, so I'm really good at photographing stuff <laughs> before it gets eaten. But, but it's still, it's gone. And that's like a beautiful part of magic in general is, you know, setting intent, intent, yep. doing the creation and letting it go and not, not observing it anymore. There's like, and that's so a big part of so many traditions. I've always loved, I've said uh, having kids is kind of like that. We have a very small house and we don't have like a playroom. We just have a living room. So I'm constantly like picking up toys. And oh, Oh, yeah. toys again so yeah. it's like that meditation of uh constantly you know, making things beautiful and letting it dissolve back to chaos and uh, yeah. i love i love thinking of food that way i uh i cooked for a long time and managed a kitchen and definitely uh subscribed to the idea like when i got to the point where i was hiring people mm-hmm. i stopped caring about anybody's like actual uh experience in the kitchen and way more cared about could they just come to work happy ish yes. or like like yes. fake it enough because i really think that that stuff goes through the food to get a little like uh, out yes. there with it i think people, no it's not out there at all yeah like uh, ha- have you experienced that in your time in the kitchen like you know oh, yeah. seeing the emotions go out on the plates and stuff oh yeah you you uh, and I trained a lot of people in this town when they came through the kitchen I was working in mm-hmm. and and I trained Morgana from the time she was like nine years old. So, <laughs> you know, she, so obviously she knows. And one of the things I always did was I would try to keep the, the kitchen on a keel, on an even yeah. keel, just moving forward not freaking out. Yeah. Because once you start to freak out, then things start <laughs> just just falling down a hill and it's terrible. Snowballs. Snowballs <laughs> Horrible <bad>. things happen. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Did your interest in cooking, was that like something that happened with, or happened for you early on in life? Is there yes. a, like a family tie to it? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So the the grandfather that you know was worried about electricity being stolen. Yep. Um, <laughs> he had a farm, okay. and he'd been a farmer pretty much his entire adult life. He also worked in uh, chemical plants, so he he did farming when he wasn't working at the chemical plants, which also meant that his wife, my grandma, and her children, my mom, and her two brothers, and then much later, a third brother, uh, did a lot of the work. So yeah. there's there was farming. And by the time I was born, grandpa was close to retirement. He wasn't mm-hmm. there yet. So he was still at the, at the chemical plant. I can still remember when he was there, but you know, in, in Charleston, in the Kanawha Valley, in that area, which is close to where Point Pleasant is, that whole okay. river Valley, yep. there's chemical plants up and down it. So mm-hmm. almost all of the men in my family worked in one of those plants. Yeah. Um, the rest of West Virginia is coal mining, but the Kanawha Valley chemical companies set up shop very early on. So he he knew so much about farming. He was really, really fascinating. Um, in the during the war, he didn't go, he he wasn't uh drafted. He he because he worked in a defense plant. So he made nitroglycerin for the bombs. And of course, after the war, um, we had all this nitroglycerin sitting around, which is a great thing to have, you know, in in the country. It's just, you know, all this stuff. (laughs) I'm from the land of DuPont, so Delaware is all about producing war chemicals and bad stuff. Yep, mustard gas, all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, great heritage. Fun, fun, fun. (laughs) So, you know, there's all of this explosive stuff and and we won the war because we made more explosives and planes and ships than anybody else. That's pretty much it. Um, but then when you're done, what do you do with it? If you're not going to start a new war right away, which was a bad idea. Nobody wanted to really do that. So they had to figure out what to do with these stockpiles and somebody smart, I believe from DuPont actually came up with the idea that, Hey, you know, these are made out of ammonia and, uh, phosphate and this and that and the other thing, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus, you know, those are the things that plants eat. So we're going to turn it into fertilizer. See, this is why Timothy McVeigh bought all that fertilizer and then was able to make a bomb that took down a whole building because it started out as chemicals of war anyway to make bombs. So (laughs) in the post-war period, it became stuff to feed plants. That's where that sort of chemical fertilizer came from. And my grandfather knew all of that because he worked in the plants that made that stuff. And so he was like, I'm not putting that on my plants. (laughs) Um, Because all along he had farmed the old way, which is you have cows, chickens, and pigs. Mm -hmm. Those were the, the three that he stuck with. And you just composted their manure and their bedding and you put it on your plant, on your dirt 
and it made good dirt and it made good plants and that was fine. (laughs) So when I was a kid, you know, I'd spend a lot of time at the farm. I'd follow around, you know, behind him and, you know, why, why do you put poop on the plants? You know, why do why do you, why don't you use the stuff from the bags at the feed store? And so he told me this whole story. He's like, you know what that stuff is? That stuff explodes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you can't just have big stacks of it sitting around, you know, that's, yeah. that's not good. And he said, you know, when, by the time I put the poop on it, it's clean. He said, you notice I don't put fresh chicken poop on them. So by the time it goes on there, there's hardly any smell because I let it sit. He yeah. said, so that's, that's why I do it that way. You know, and then I'd ask one too many questions and he'd send me off to my grandmother. Um, of course. You know, because it was just too many questions. But one time I remember him telling me, he said, even if I never ate the cows or the pigs or the chickens, I'd still keep them because a farm is only half a farm if you don't have animals. Wow. And... He said, do you know why? And I said, well, you need the poop. He goes, yeah. He said, but it's not just that. It's not just that. Go in the woods. You go in the woods all the time. What do you see out there? Plants and animals. Right. That's the ecosystem. You can't have a healthy farm. You want it to be like the woods. Totally. That you just work with what's there. He's and and so, you know, and he explained about, you know, fungi and how that had stuff to do with it, how that there were millions and millions of bacteria and stuff in the dirt and and he was like, "I know they tell you bacteria is bad, but it's not all bad." You know. Absolutely. So, yeah, and that's what he did. That's beautiful. I, it's so awesome. Like you don't really get those type of educations very often these days. Like, you know, very, very rarely do. And it's funny, my, my five-year-old super into science and stuff and he loves, it's real fun. And like, we're in a world where the information is endless that he can dive into. And he loves mm-hmm. like, there's these videos with like, uh, there's this one called mystery Doug. That's like a science teacher who answers questions from little kids. Right. Aww. And like, he loves the ones that are like, can trees talk to each other? And they'll talk about how they communicate via the mycelia of yep. mushrooms. And like, so he knows all this stuff that I, when I was five, no clue, like didn't even know, but like, oh, see, that's I always, great. It's amazing, right? But I think a lot about the vehicle that like he's onboarding that. Like like it like you kind of got a similar lesson, but like mm-hmm. via being out in a field with a relative and somebody that has like, you know, experiential information where he, my my kid and their generation are getting this information and I'm not saying this is a negative thing. It's just interesting to me how different it is, but they're getting this information via somebody who's never like been out in the forest or probably been out in the right. forest, but has never done the work themselves. Like yeah. they're not, yeah. it's, a, it's learned information, not experiential information. And I think that, you know, there's something, there's a diff, it sinks in differently if that makes sense. It somehow. does. And, it uh, does. again, I don't think it's bad. And I don't think, you know, I try and give my kid as many experiences, but I don't 
know a farmer to like ha- give him that experience. Right. Like, yeah, so we we watch videos on YouTube and that's fine. But uh, I love like hearing that that is the one that that's kind of like the start of your interest in food in general. Like that's mm-hmm. a beautiful place to start. And two, like the fact that not only did you get to uh, you know learn about nature and how nature is the thing to follow. Like that's the example. Like you do what. The, yeah. you do what the earth does you know and that's how right you make, th- right that can be applied to a lot of things outside of farming i feel like it, people oh, yeah. just uh, step back and look at how things naturally kind of occur but it's also awesome that it led you into this whole historical rabbit hole that you probably didn't oh, see yeah. coming from like i didn't see that conversation coming to what it did as far as the uh exactly deep, like changing all that and i noticed that you have a very big historical uh interest it seems like you've been a history buff for a long time did Big that start nerd. like was that from <laughs> your grandfather you think like hearing those stories and stuff or is that something else completely or it, it's it there it, well okay so my family's kind of my family's weird big surprise <laughs> um you know my dad's side of the family are all city dwellers pretty much mm-hmm. they they all are city dwellers until you go back a couple generations um, his grandfather owned a meat market and slaughterhouse in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. And his uncle, his great uncle, uh, the grandfather's brother and, and several other brothers owned the farm in Meigs County, Ohio, which is like right next door to where I live now. Amazing. That raised the, the sheep and the cows and the pigs and what happened is they would take the livestock down to the river and load or load them alive on a barge and send the barge up the Kanawha River, well, up the Ohio River first, then to Point Pleasant, you know, hang a left onto the <laughs> Kanawha River and straight to Charleston and then down the Elk River for like, you know, a few hundred feet, honestly, and then offload them and take them through the town in a cattle drive, honestly. I mean, this is crazy. It was a city. (laughs) And take them through to the slaughterhouse and then they were slaughtered and processed all by hand by my grandfather and his sons or my great-grandfather and his sons. So that's kind of where my dad grew up. So we have all of this information over here. And before all of that, my grandfather's parents came from Germany. Okay. Along with a bunch of other families came from the same town in Germany. So these two families kind of married together, Mm -hmm. two brothers married two sisters. And that's what started all of that. Um, And they were, they were all farmers and butchers. So I come from a line of German butchers And then on my mom's side is my grandfather, whose parents came from Wales and the Midlands of of England. They were all from coal mining stock. So he had no experience with farming until he decided he did not want to be a coal miner. (laughs) He decided, you know, he wanted to be... and, And then they settled in Pennsylvania. And so he grew up in Pennsylvania with a dad in the coal mines and his first job, he was a teenager. He got a job in a bakery 
And, you know, you have to get up at three in the morning to, oh, yeah. to be a baker. It's, yeah, no, I've you. done that myself and oof, that's hard. Um, and so he was a baker as a kid. And then he was like, you know, he got a job in the chemical plants, but his, his dream was to own his own land and be a farmer. So he read and learned how to be a farmer. That's amazing. Um, and he was really good at it. So his whole thing with, you know, you have to follow nature, that was from observation. Yeah. So he was really, really bright. And then the people on my dad's side of the family are really, really bright, different ways. Um, and my dad, so my dad is like big into history. Okay. Um, and really bright, never went to college. Um, he was in the Navy for four years because that's what you did. Mm -hmm. Um, because there was compulsory service it was in the sixties. Yeah. Came out, got a job in the chemical plants. <clears throat> Cause that's what everybody in Charleston did. And, right. um, in his spare time, he educated himself by reading books about history because he wanted to know where we were from. He also had this big fascination with, uh, world war two documentaries, uh, uh which is great. I guess. Um, but I, the thing is, is my parents didn't really understand that television wasn't great for little kids. Yeah. Um, that, you know, until you're about five or six, you can't really tell the difference from reality and what you watch on TV. Mm -hmm. So there was no, they really let me watch inappropriate stuff. I'm fine with that, but I, I don't think I needed to see the, you know, 12 part documentary series. No. The World at War that was done by the BBC. Because <laughs> I was really too small for that. Um, yeah. Those and, are and, and there was there was some footage in there that was really scary. But, you know, I sat and watched all of it. And in a way, my dad was kind of like, well, she needs to know this is how things are. You know, this is this is what people do. And that was his perspective growing up mm -hmm. during World War II. Sure. And and feeling like, you know, we have to understand where we were to understand where we are. Yep. So now Morgana's getting a degree in history because she grew up hearing the same stuff from my dad that I grew up hearing. Saw the same documentaries. Mm -hmm. um, so... <laughs> it happens. Yeah, so... <laughs> All of that is swimming around in my head. And then my dad also loved to read UFO books. Oh, wow. What a perfect uh, merger for you. <laughs> yeah. So those were all in the house. And my grandfather on my mom's side had some of those too, because, you know, he'd see weird balls of light sucking electricity out of the yep. big pylons. So why not? So here I have these two guys who don't talk to each other because they don't really like each other too awful much. But, <laughs> you know, but they still have a very similar mindset. Yeah. So that just happened. I was always reading books from one or the other of them. I mean, my, my grandfather subscribed to popular science and pop, popular mechanics. He was always building things. Yeah. Um, he had Southern Beef Producer. That's a magazine. That's a <laughs> trade magazine. I'd read Very, that stuff, you know, because, you know, I read encyclopedias as a kid. And if there was a UFO book, I was going to read it. So happening. there's all kinds of I am worried if I ever become 
like senile or get the dementia or something that there's just going to be weird, stupid facts popping out of my mouth randomly that people are going to be like, what's What's wrong with this old lady? (laughs) (laughs) Why is she so strange? (laughs) (laughs) Let's, let's hope that never happens for a bunch of reasons, but uh, I think that would be (laughs) the, the, maybe the funnest version of dementia. If there's such a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, there is a part of me, the trickstery part of me, that's like, yeah, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it uh, there's something, there is something like you know, it's one of the saddest thing. My um, grandfather-in-law went through it, and you know, it, we yeah, we, it's terrible. He, it's terrible, but man, there's something when you're around them and they're in certain states, it's like they're otherworldly sometimes. If that yes. makes sense, like they yes. they touch something that we there's. I don't want to use the word innocence, but I can't think of a better word right now. But there's something really just like pure to certain times. Yeah. And like it's, it's it's one of those things that and I can't say from direct experience, but from that, like uh, experiencing it through uh, my grandparents in laws, uh, it seems to affect the people around them more than it affects them directly. Like it seems like it's oh, one yeah. of those things where it's harder on the caregivers than it is yeah. on the person yeah, going through the experiences is. at a certain point. And I mean, but, but yeah, all that aside, I think that that makes so much sense that that's how you got into the history and all the interests that you have. Yeah. And yeah. I love I love that you're you got your one grandfather who's seeing these things in the field and the other one that's you know learning and reading about them in the books and how yeah you're getting both sides of it. Did you yeah. were were you exposed to like creativity and artwork and stuff at at that same time or did you find that type of thing on your own? Like when did you start making art? Oh, I I drew all the time. That's awesome. Um, up until high school, I, I, that's what I did. I drew all the time. My mom had this thing about noise. She, it, I don't know. She, I'm pretty sure she, she just wasn't great with kids. Um, <laughs> but she was always worried that I would make noise and disturb the people in the apartment building where we lived, which mm-hmm. was just a busted up old house. Right. So yeah. they just, you know, busted a big old house. So they made like four apartments out of it. And uh, it was a spooky old house too, but be that as it may. So she was always worried that I, and and when dad worked shift work, if he had to sleep during the day, I did have to be quiet. So mm-hmm. there were all kinds of things I could do that was, that was quiet. And if I wanted to play outside, she let me play outside so long as the dog was with me. And I had this radius around the neighborhood where I was safe. So I would play in our neighbor's yards, they knew who I was. It was cool. They'd watch out for me. You know, now I'm looking at it kind of going, damn, <laughs> anybody could have just picked me up off the street. Yeah. <laughs> it could have, that could have gone real bad, you know. Different times. Different it was. Times. It was. <laughs> and, you know, and there were cases back then where things did oh, happen. Yeah. And then my mom would get all weird and not tell me why she was being weird. I mean, you got to stay in the house. I'm like, okay. You say so, mom. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, when I had to stay in the house and be quiet, I would draw or paint. My mother's least favorite of my artistic activities was collage because that involved little tiny pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. I loved construction paper because I could like 
make sculptures out of it. I could like make flowers that were three-dimensional out of it. Instead of being, you know, charmed by that skill, my mother was like, you're always leaving little tiny pieces of paper all over the floor. Oh my God. I know exactly where you've been because there's paper everywhere. <laughs> you know, and, and she's right. They were, they were little like glitter sized pieces of paper, you know, Absolutely. And she had this whole thing about the house having to be clean, 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 but we had cats and a dog. So I was kind of like, why are why? With that? <laughs> yeah. Have fun with that, ma. Um, so she, she said to me one day and I, I will never forget it. She's like, I hope that when you have kids that one of them is just like you and leaves little pieces of paper all over the floor. So now I'm the one leaving little pieces of paper all over the floor. Uh, neither Morgana nor uh, Fox like doing collage. They're both artistic. They both do art. But they don't do collage. And so I sometimes go into my, you know, art studio and look at the floor and go, I hope you have a kid that leaves little pieces of paper on the floor. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> but she That's was so she she was just like mm. <laughs> not happy. So yeah, I was always doing art up until high school. And then um I I kinda let it, I, I just, I, you know, I had friends who were like really, really yep. good artists. So I was just kind of like, I kind of suck. So I'm not going to do this anymore. Yep. And, um, and, and my mom at one point said, yeah, you, you're just not that good at it. So I was like, okay, Ooh, so I won't do that. Bummer. Yeah. She wasn't, like I said, I don't think she knew yeah. how to be around kids. Um, some people just don't have that instinct or whatever you want to call it. Well, uh, you know, she used to come. I remember when I was in first grade, she used to come and help the kids with their coats on. You know how moms would yeah. do that kind of on a volunteer basis. Well, she she had to stop doing that because she smacked one of the kids. Ooh, now, yeah. now, yeah, if if it had been these days, she'd have Ooh. been arrested probably yeah. or there would have been some legal something, something going on yeah <laughs> you know as it was the principal just basically said mrs fisher you can't come back <laughs> you know mm. it's just like just just thank you thank yes, you for your yes. service but you have to go now yeah. and uh she said so she didn't do it anymore but she treated it kind of like a joke and she laughed about it so she's yeah. not i mean yeah, i know that's... there's all kinds of other things she does have mental health issues but mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. also just the fact that she didn't get the whole kid thing that, you yeah. know, natural kid behavior was like a problem. She didn't yeah. understand that, you know, none of that. Now, when she was a child, this is the part that gets me. When she was mm-hmm. a child, she and her brothers ran wild on the farm. Okay. They were horrible children. They they oh, were no. awful. They would do <laughs> stuff like... They would do stuff like ride the milk cow like a horse. Oh, that can't be good. Well, it makes them not give milk. And then if they don't give the milk, they get mastitis and and they get an infection. And then, yeah. Okay. So you get it. None of that's That's good. And so when grandma would try to, you know, discipline them for this, they'd run away and they would 
run and jump over the fence to the pig pen and then jump out the other side. Also dangerous because pigs are not the most friendly of creatures. Um, so, and grandma could not jump the fence as well. And she always fell in the pig shit. Well, so oh, man. they so, were terrible, yeah. terrible children. <laughs> Weird for her to get upset over little pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being that that's the, I know. the background there. I that's know. too much. Do you, <laughs> I know, um, right? Do, you're when you touched on kind of dropping the artistic stuff in high school. I relate to that so much. I was always like, up until middle school, I was like the art kid, and then I remember specifically becoming like the second best in class. And then I remember being into high school, being like, oh yeah, there's like thirty kids that are better than me, and how like that yeah. was very yeah. Just, and plus, I started playing music and getting stoned, and you know, all well, the stuff then you don't have time to, to draw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I got lucky that so my I have um I have a spatial disorder and a few different types of dyslexia. And oh, my you school, too, huh? Oh yeah, I, we we relate on that one for sure. I've heard you talk about it. I'm like, yep, Barbara, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, but luckily, my which school, way do we turn to get to there? Left? Wait, no, right? No. One, yeah. Um. At the tree, the big tree. Turn where the big tree is. There my, you go. My wife makes fun of me all the time because I'm constantly putting my kids' shoes on the wrong feet and mm-hmm. stuff when I'm in a rush. And I'm like, I'm, I swear, it's my brain. It's not my fault. I promise. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm Learning to tie it. shoes was a big thing for me. It was yep. terrible. Absolutely. But uh, my school, instead of like when I hit things that were really challenging, like Spanish class, for example, or I have a I have a numeric spatial disorder. So like I can't keep number patterns. Right. So yep, I never yep. got past algebra one. Like so what they would do is they've like, got the algebra take- two. Oh, yes. You got me beat. (laughs) (laughs) What they would do for me, though, they would give me another art class or they let me like edit the literary art magazine. And so I got back into art as a way to subvert these other like essentially needs to graduate. So I was really lucky that they did that for me instead of being like, here's medicine or more tutors or whatever they would do these days. Because that stuff would not work. At least they figured it out with you. I'm old enough that they were like, what the hell's wrong? that child <laughs> no, she's so right smart but, yeah. but what I was right, what is happening <laughs> exactly i was right before they started just like going to the adderall and the ritalin and yeah. right, but like but yeah. they knew there was something there was a way to and i think honestly i just got lucky with the counselor that i had i don't think that yeah. I think my case was kind of like a very special one like i most people i talked to did not have that experience like yeah yeah um, i i didn't get any of that medicine or anything so i do i i am grateful for that because they didn't really have it back then yeah and the fact that i read really well everybody was like ah there's nothing wrong with her she's just weird totally that's what that was a benchmark for sure and i was i was the same way where like my english classes i was always pretty good in or in the higher side because my understanding of everything was really high it was just it took me longer to read what i was reading like i but once i read it i could understand concepts very well right right i think i got by okay but what was interesting to me through that that i didn't realize at the time but looking back on it i was kind of of using creativity to cope with the dyslexia with the yeah. spatial disorder yeah. and, and stuff and did you find the creative outlets help your kind of dyslexic brain and interactions with information and stuff yeah okay one of the things that was weird about me and one of the reasons it masked the dyslexia i could read fast oh cool like, now that i'm like in my 50s sliding towards the 60 you know or age mm-hmm. range i've slowed down 
a little bit. Um, but I Morgana is the same way. We both can just like reading, yes, Ooh, you know. <laughs> and it used That's to be I could retain pretty much everything I read. Now mm-hmm. it's like a smaller percentage because the aging brain is like, girl, you drank <laughs> too much in college. You need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, uh-uh. We're not mm-hmm. just going to give you that information. You got to think about it a little totally. bit, a lot, you know? <laughs> so absolutely not as, not as quick on the draw as I used to be, but it, that's part of what masked it was yeah. that I couldn't, I, I couldn't explain why things were weird. I had one kid in fourth grade Notice that when I did math and that was when they'd start giving you the addition problems that were like six digits Mm -hmm. across and, you know, stacked seven high, you know, and you're supposed to add all that crap up. Yeah. He noticed because that was the first time they did partnered learning. You know, Mm -hmm. they were trying some new stuff in the West Virginia and he was, he, he called the teacher over. He said, I think I know what's wrong and why she doesn't do math right. And she was like, what do you mean? Now, this kid's mom was, had a master's in education and was an administrator for the county. So I think that's how he caught it. Um, He probably heard his mom talk about a lot of stuff. But he was like, well, watch when she writes, you know, watch when she writes down the numbers from the book onto her paper. And I would switch, things would get, and I would be putting mm-hmm. the wrong numbers down. And then, yeah. of course, when I added them all up, it was nowhere near. Right. Yeah. And this was before, it was before there were worksheets. <laughs> <laughs> there were no photocopy we machines. From a board and, yeah. <laughs> we were copying from the board. We had to copy mm-hmm. it from the book because you couldn't write in the book. You know, mm-hmm. these were all terrible, evil things. This is, I mean, seriously, this is old school. Um, we did have those uh, copiers that had the purple ink that you, oh, you wow, turned yeah. the crank and had that neat smell. You always like to smell them. People are, there are young that people carbon. listening to this going, what is she talking about? Oh, yeah, mimeograph is what it's mimeograph, called. exactly, but, yep. <laughs> and I loved the sound of the cranking when I was a kid because I sometimes got to help with that, but... I digress. Um, he figured it out and he said, that's what's wrong. And, and, and she looked at me and she said, do they, do the numbers look different to you? And I said, I can't look at them in a a big row like that and see what's wrong with it. Like to me, what I wrote down is what's on the page. Yes. That big clue was right there. Did anybody do anything with it? Nope. Not till I was a senior in high school. So from fourth grade to senior in high school, I just thought I was stupid with math. Oh my God. <laughs> now I know. No, I'm not. Yeah. 
no, no. Your your brain just processes information differently. And mm-hmm. I think that there's it, it, it's one of those things that gets touchy to talk about as far as like, uh, you know, what would be considered disabilities or things like that. Yeah. But there it does. There's benefits to having a brain that processes information yes. differently. And I think it's part of what makes us more creative. And like, I even think to, I think you're right. Yeah. And to go a step further, I think it's why we can have some more kind of anomalous events. And like you might, you know, that might Uh be part of a factor of you being able to experience these awesome orbs and things like that. That just, I agree. it's like an openness thing, you know, it's like it yeah. makes you a little bit more open yeah. to everything. And I I, it, I, think there's language that is used in like uh, the psychedelic culture and things that's very yes. apt for the paranormal. And I think openness is one of those things. And you can achieve openness through like making a painting or, yep. you know, reading up. There's so many ways to do it besides like an, an entheogen or a paranormal experience. But like the point is how do you integrate that openness? And once you figured right. out that you were dyslexic, and like that you're not bad at math it's that you can properly integrate that uh thing into your life and you know view it as not a you know disability but something that might just be make you a little more special and or, view or the just world different exactly. you know it people you know back then i'm what 56 so you know back in the 60s 70s and early 80s people didn't really understand that you know you had spectrums of mm-hmm neurology we we have that we are wired up differently as humans we're not all boom the same (laughs) our brains don't go boom yep in the same way (laughs) we don't develop at the same rate all of that stuff all of that other than piaget um as far as i'm concerned most of the early childhood development stuff from back then was wrong stupid (laughs) wrong-headed and just crazy you know, I just, I mean, you know, they were doing, you know, experiments on monkeys that were cruel and horrible to figure out that, hey, babies are wired to love their caregiver because why? Oh, because they need them for food and shelter and, you know, all that. And then they figured out, well, but the affection and the physical contact is even more important than the food. Okay. You know, but the way they figured it out was terrible terrible stuff and that's also intuitive it's all stuff that you could figure out just by observing nature and being like yeah they hold their babies on their back on their chest like there's something to that like it's all this stuff that like it's just we have to prove it to ourselves in this silly way in the western culture that doesn't really make any sense (laughs) look at native people wherever wherever it could be africa it could be south america it could be lapland um, of the the sami you know uh, Mm -hmm. way up north The Eskimo or, you know, the Inuit. Let's be proper. See, again, I'm showing my age. Um, They carry their babies on their chests and their backs. And what white people think in the West when we see that from way back in the day was, well, that's so their hands are free and they can do work. Well, yeah, okay, that's true. (laughs) That's true, but that's a side effect. That is a side effect. (laughs) Do you notice that their children are are like well-adjusted? Yes, they are. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> how yep. strange is that you know and yeah there's so much Duh. To it. there is and so much to it and and there, i like now that we can look at people's different ways of understanding the world and different methods of cognition 
And we also understand that the brain is plastic until you die. Yes. We finally yes. figured that out. That So if you have a stroke, you can relearn and rewire and, you know, just take, you know, because we had this whole idea. It was almost like phrenology of the brain. This is where you learn to talk and that's where <laughs> you learn the numbers. And it's always the same thing. And then yep. now they understand, no, it's really not all the same thing. You know, you had Phineas Gage with the big, you know, Pole like, stuck like through, through his skull. That was the railroad guy, right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Very creepy story. <laughs> Very creepy. Dude, it's, it's you just brought up so many things in my brain that I love. <laughs> and that I so there's one of the things that I think is really cool about the way that kids are growing up with uh, all of these different kind uh, I guess there's good and bad to it, but their access to information is interesting in the way that it's presented. My kid is really into podcasts, right? He listens to right. this one called, he loves this one called Terrestrials, okay? So oh, they neat. look at, it's a great podcast. They look at all the different weird animals around the world and how we got to know what we know about them. And essentially saying that like, all of the beautiful, strange stuff you need exists here already. And this is how we learned about this thing. And what they do is they give you all these different viewpoints. The bald eagle episode is my favorite example of this, where they tell the story. Essentially, what we know about bald eagles or thought we knew about bald eagles forever is that they're very ferocious, territorial. They'll defend their nests for anything, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they mate. They don't have... They're not polyamorous. They're very one monogamous birds, all that. But then in like 2008 or something, there was a web camera that caught a nest and there was two uh, male eagles sharing the nest with a female eagle. And during this live feed, these other female eagles come to the nest and start attacking it. The mom of the bird of the eggs gives her life to defend the eggs. And then the two males stay there and defend those eggs for the next three weeks and then start raising the hatchlings. And scientists were like, this blows our whole paradigm. This is not what <laughs> eagles are supposed to be. What is happening? Ooh. And then the podcast cuts to a, I can't remember um, uh, which nation he was a part of, but it was an indigenous speaker and historian. And he was like, our people have been telling these stories of the eagle. They are the messenger. They are the connection between the spirit world and our world. They are the most empathetic animals ever. Yes. And we've been saying this thing for generations now that it took you guys till 2008 in the Western scientific. Uh, so if we would just listen to these uh, beautiful mythologies and stories that have as much truth in them as like watching that live stream, we would have come to that a conclusion so much faster <laughs> yep yep it's like it's just did these people live in the woods and not notice things yeah oh yeah, yeah. they're uh, just like we are no yeah. they're not <laughs> they live in the woods you fools we've been yes. living in cities for all this exactly. time and they're and, and just, you did <laughs> I love that my five-year-old is hearing that side of things, though. I love that he's That's getting, great. like, the Western side of things. And I've noticed it even on, like, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse episodes where, like, they'll, they have, they'll have a ghost episode where the whole theme is not being scared of the ghosts but accepting them because it's not okay to be scared of the other. They're just here to, to maybe interact and have a good time. So the right. episode ends with them having a party with the ghosts in this old Western town instead of being, like, scared where everything I grew up on was like Ghostbusters, the ghost, the other is the enemy. We're hunting these ghosts and all right, that. And like, right. I'm yeah. Like, this is so much better. This is like way better yeah. for my kids to like consume than like that style of things. And I, I like that. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Well, 
what do you think as far as like the overall mythology of the world these days? Like, you know, I, I really think that stories and stuff play a huge part in what shapes our world and our reality. And I, I think about that a lot with, uh, with the amount of imaginative material that goes out there these days. Do you, what, do you think about those things at all? <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Um, I, I've, I've been, <laughs> so there's this this bundle of stories and characters that my husband and I made up in 1994. It w- the the kernel of them was in 1994 because there was a blizzard that hit Athens, Ohio, and we were snowed in out in the country in this little tiny shotgun house that had no insulation to speak of. And uh, we didn't have electricity, so the blower on the gas furnace wasn't running. So pretty much two inches from the furnace was warm, and that was it. So, you know, and we hadn't gone to the grocery store, so, you know, we were eating beans, and um, I think we were eating beans, and and maybe some (laughs) cornbread, um, and some bacon, I think. I think that was what we had in the house. (laughs) Um, and we had parked our cars up near the house because the night before it was pouring rain. So we, we went all the way up the driveway, like dipshits. So, (laughs) and we didn't have a snow shovel. All of these things were just, you know, that was just, I should have known better. I I grew up (laughs) half in the country. I should have known better. I mean, my husband grew up in a city. He had an excuse. I had no excuse. But anyway, so we just stayed in bed with the covers, every every blanket that we had in the world um, with layers of clothes on. And our, all of our cats sat there with us. And so we sat in the dark because this was March, I think, February, March. Um, and we told stories because we couldn't watch TV. There was no podcast. Um, <laughs> radio was boring and we didn't get great radio reception because we were kind of down in a hollow. So there were all these, you know, hells around us. Yeah. We didn't even get good TV really. Um, <laughs> Cause there was no cable out there. Um, it, it, yeah. <laughs> there was not much to do. So we started telling these stories and those stories have been with us for almost 30 years now. So those particular stories, um, eventually, you know, we're still working on writing them down and we're paring down, you know, what's going to go where and what, because it's this complex, bizarre, um, world. Yeah. It's like if Tolkien and his wife, like created Middle Earth together. Amazing. So it's a shared world. Um, there's some of our friends have some stories that have gotten woven in there, you know, and it's really strange, but I, one of the things my husband said was a life is a crazy quilt of stories and a story is a crazy quilt of lives. That it's all of these pieces put together. Now, if you take that concept and then you expand it out into an entire 
planet yep. of people. It's one of the things that humans just do. We tell stories all the time. We yes, tell stories absolutely. to ourselves. We tell mm-hmm. stories to our children. We tell stories to our friends. We tell stories to the whole world if we make movies yep. or write books. And all of those stories become a part of the people who experience them. So I cannot help but think because of my understanding of the other as some other kind of consciousness that Mm -hmm. is both within and outside of humans, because I'm a both and I, I, I am not a, it's a this or a that. I'm a hundred percent there with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm a both and. It's both of them. The smartest people are, it seems. <laughs> I know, I know. It's because we have very flexible brains. Honestly, I yep. think we can accept not being certain about anything that it's a this or a that. And honestly, totally. I've I've hung out with too many physicists because most of the really amazing physicists are. It's not a this or a that. Yeah, it's a both. <laughs> it's a. Both. It's not yep. no, a particle totally. or a wave. It's a both. Absolutely. And spooky action at a distance, this particle is still attached to that particle, even if they're at different ends of the universe, they still are going to interact with each other. Boom, boom, oh, yeah. boom, boom, boom. And so my brain goes, yep, I can't do the math y'all can do, but I do understand what you're saying because exactly. it's the same thing. That particle's story is part of this particle's story. Exactly. And this, what this particle does is going to affect this other one and it's going to change the stories. And all of those particles make up the entire story of the entire universe, which yes. is a crazy quilt of pieces, parts from everything and everyone. I'm pretty sure when we die, we just go back to that giant consciousness and we get to hear and interact with all of those little bits and pieces and parts and stories. Sometimes I think we incarnate to kind of get away from all of the everything. Yeah. Because it, it, it's probably, you know how people say when you die, it's a rest? Mm-hmm. I actually think it's the other way around. Wow. I think, I think when we incarnate and we cannot be connected to all that all the time mm-hmm. because nobody can be. You will burn out your brain. It's not good. I've seen no. I've seen Doctor Who. I know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're not if you're not a, a Gallifreyan, that's bad. Yep. You don't want to do that. Um, totally. I think it, I think it being in a in a flesh suit is what's restful for us. I don't think it's just about learning things here so we can be better there. I actually mm-hmm. think there is where we learn a lot of stuff, but then we come here to chill out. It's almost like it's a vacation. Yeah. And people are going to think I'm absolutely nuts for saying this. There's war. Well, yeah, there is. Because no, <laughs> we, we do dumb stuff. We, we're going to totally. do dumb stuff. And it's but, all part of it. it it's, yeah. yeah totally. it, it, it's, it's a back and forth. Now, you know, when I die and, and none of that's right, I'm going to have to be like, you physicists. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, it, it's it's the the point is having those thoughts and how you can like integrate that into living a you know more creative or kind life. Like that's yeah. what's beautiful about all of that. And the idea, I mean, you said so many things that you you put in a way 
you put things that I've thought about in a way that I love. Like, I think that is so spot on to how I view a lot of this, especially when you were just saying, and this is one of the things I really like about talking about consciousness in the realm of the other in regards to the paranormal and religious contact is there's these threads it's so consistent and what you just said about like you can't live in all those stories all the time it's exhausting and that's what i've heard the smartest people say about things like ego death there's no real ego death as a meat suit person because we would just melt like if you really oh, yeah. experienced like try going to uh, target without an ego is something i heard one of these people say and i'm like yeah you can't do that you just so like the idea is to integrate and that like you you get to touch these things that are of the other to kind of remind us of where we're from but the point is to bring it back and like you know express right. it into those stories right. and i mean one of my favorite uh, lines of thought along those lines as far as the great global or universal mythology is uh, one that Grant Morrison talks about in his book Super Gods where he theorized that essentially superheroes as a concept understood eventually that saving the world the way they had traditionally by putting out the fires, stopping the alien invasion, stopping the meteor from hitting Earth, that's all futile. Like, that's always going to happen and just keep replaying. The way to truly make effect change is to is insert yourself into the mythology and change the stories people tell themselves so the superheroes were as real and 3D and made the choice to go to the 2D to affect the global mythology and make the world a better place by doing that instead of the physical. And I think that is such a beautiful concept and a way to look at like, yeah, what, what if the paranormal is something similar? Like it was, and that's why it rides that corporeal and spiritual line that it was once corporeal and as physical as you or I, but it knew to exist forever and to affect whatever greater uh, and, uh, plan or they, whatever you want to call it they have, they knew they had to become part of the mythology, the folklore, because that's the stuff that sticks around. That's the real, oh, the yeah. real magic, you know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's eternal. Um, and, and I do think that that's, that's correct. And I think part of the reason that musicians and poets and writers and artists and and other creatives are so connected with folklore and mythology and all of that, because it's very few of those people don't know anything about that yeah. stuff. I don't, I don't know that maybe there's one or two. I don't know. They probably make crappy <laughs> art. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I remember when my husband was getting his masters of digital art, he had to do a project, obviously. Mm -hmm a master's thesis and uh, he had to present it and he had to defend it. And so he did a series of prints that were about this character that he had made up um, called Jack crazy quilt. He's a blue coyote and it it's basically like a, it, I mean, we did a comic based on it for, years that was online for a long time. Um, it's not anymore. I, I fussed at him about this. I think he should have left it, but whatever. Put it back, put it back. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, but it basically it, it was taking the Zen stories and the Zen insight and showing it in a series of, I think it was seven prints. So wow. it was word and art 
and it was it was done in a way that yeah you could he could have done most of it with like mixed media you know conventional messy mm -hmm. media uh, he couldn't have because he doesn't like the messy stuff but somebody could have but it wouldn't have looked as good and yeah. and that was one of the things I really liked about that art is it looks kind of just you look at it and you go, oh, well, that's ink and watercolor and, and maybe there's a little collage. In there. And then you look at it and you go, wait a minute. No, Hold no, on. it's not. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. How did he do that? And you know, now everybody goes, well, dummy, it's digital art. Oh, my God. But back then, nobody was as, you know, this was back in the early 2000s. So people weren't quite mm -hmm. as cognizant of what you, yeah yep. yeah absolutely so he 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 did that and one of the questions one of the uh professors presented to him because a lot of it had to do with mythology it wasn't just zen it was also the coyote mythology of the various tribes mm -hmm. it was also uh Jewish folklore it was i mean Bigfoot is in there. Bigfoot awesome. is Sifu. He is the monkey king, Sun Wukong. That's where Bigfoot oh, comes beautiful. in. And that's his master. That's who, who teaches Crazy Quilt. And he had all of this stuff in there. And it's great. But this one guy looked at him and said, well, what do you say to someone who'd say, this is not relevant because myth is dead. And so Zach just kind of looked at him and was like, one, I would say he's wrong yeah, because myth is clearly not dead, else this would not be here. Right. <laughs> and Absolutely. neither would Star Wars. Yes. And and then the guy was like, well, Joseph Campbell, these are... Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I don't boy. even remember all of the, the argument this dude made, but because as soon as I heard it, I just started laughing like a maniac exactly. when he was telling me. And I was like, what an idiot, you know? <laughs> and he was like, no, it's not dead. And yes, Luke Skywalker is still showing the hero's story. Yes, uh, Lucas did it on purpose, kind of went, I'm going to do this A, B, C, D thing that Joseph, mm -hmm. you know, wrote out, which is kind of, it's not quite cheating, but, you know, it's still there and it still tells that story to a bunch of kids forever. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so a bunch of kids want to be Luke Skywalker forever and they want to drink weird space milk. And then die. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know? it's I. I can't imagine making a statement like that. Like just saying like. I, I mean, even I don't, in that way. Like I it's don't wild. know if he was trying to just shake shake Zach, you know, or yeah, yeah, totally. It was like a little power move, or if he wanted to see what he'd say. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I was just like, I don't. If that happened to me, I would have busted out laughing in his I know. face. And then I, I just would have, I, I don't know that I could have been polite about it. I just would have been like, dude, it yeah, might be dead yeah. for you. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. Who it's stole sad. your soul, sir? Totally. Who did this no. to you? What happened? <laughs> Who abused you and made you hurt so bad that you cannot look upon myth and go, that is real. Totally. That is still relevant. 
it is going yeah. to still be relevant because that is part of humanity. Duh. Yeah. yeah. And I would have yeah. not been kind. No, I, it probably would have been good for him to get a little shaken up there. I mean, like if you, uh, I, if you're that jaded, I think you could use a little shake oh, up yeah. sometimes, you know, like yeah. I think even in regards to like the paranormal, I think that's kind of what that does or spiritual, like it's all like novelty inducing. It's like, if you're, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a good way to kind of just the interest in it is a good way to change your thought patterns and to be that. Yeah. I just don't like rigid thinking like that, yeah. but uh, that's a, that's, I, that project sounds beautiful. I hope at some point you do get to put the comics back up because I, I would that. love That's... it too. Because there's alien. I mean, it, it was it was before its time. It was mm -hmm. before its time. There were, there's an alien. There's abduction. There's. I mean, basically, my husband does not read the paranormal stuff. He asks me about it, and I tell him I, I'm the filter through which the paranormal comes to him. You know, totally. and he watched the X Files with me. And so it was kind of, we took the X-Files and made it satire. Um, we made all of the characters animals or aliens so I that it, it was another level of symbolism. Um, it, it was so much fun. But yeah, there were, there were UFOs. The alien that's in it has a UFO and buzzes around. And, you know, there's men in black. I love it. All kinds of stuff. It was a lot. Oh, Chupacabra uh, featured heavily in the, one of the first stories. Of so, course. yeah. Everyone's favorite. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is very relevant, but kind of uh, changing topics. And it's the only thing I had written down that I just wanted to ask you, Barbara. And okay. it's, it's relevant to, to art and stuff. So I, I was listening to a podcast the other day with a visionary artist, and he was talking about a... Uh, a DMT encounter he had with a mantis being a, a light mantis being, or he said it might've been a grasshopper. He wasn't sure, but essentially he was like, uh, dude, why do you spend the time to come interact with me? Like you're this being of light. That's from like wherever can do whatever. What, why are you checking me out when I'm doing this substance? What's going on here? What's this relationship? And essentially the being responded that like, creativity and the imagination is something that is like special to humans and you guys have this weird squishy ability and we kind of use you as a creative extension of ourselves so well, it's hard like we're, we're, that's what i said right <laughs> so i listened to that and i was like that's yes 100 percent. and then i was listening to an experiencer talk on a, a different podcast about how they're like a lifelong experiencer, have been taken all over the place and like been on several ships, all of that type of stuff. But they mentioned they never saw art created by the other. And I was like, shit, have I ever heard of an experience or an encounter where someone goes on a board or goes to fairyland or whatever the, the instance is and experiences a work of art created by one of the others? And I'm like, I can't think of anything. I've started asking other people that are more uh, in depth with this stuff like yourself. And because and the two kind of connected to me as something that's like, oh, yeah, maybe that's the that is a the good paranormal. connection. Yeah. You, you, know? you, you got those two and put them together and then your brain went, mm -hmm, there's a thing. <laughs> There's and I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to, I was like, I'm going to talk to Barbara. She knows way more about this stuff. I wonder if you have ever heard of an experience where somebody has brought back artwork or an experienced artwork from the other or something along those lines. This is okay. So the story that my husband and I have been working on for 30 years, almost there are 
in the story what we call Daimon. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read Patrick Harper, obviously, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I've also read a lot of the Greek stuff where that word comes from it and, and from, what that yeah. has to do with. Absolutely. We are their art. <sighs> we are their art. They shape us. They prune us like roses. They pick our brains to come up with, our brains are like wardrobes for them. They can just pull out an idea and and shape themselves to it so they can talk to us. They can insert ideas, not full-blown pieces of art, but they can do an idea, just give us a little idea, and then we go and run with it. Um, I am sure that some of what we came up with in that sensory deprivation, freezing cold, you know, I think we were stuck in the house for like five days. (laughs) We were using a, 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 you know, boat shaped sled to scoop snow out of the, it was sad. (laughs) Was sad, was, so sad, that's so tough. That's so tough. <laughs> it was. We were so dumb. <laughs> um, we didn't starve, but we did start a story cycle that is still ongoing. I'm sure some of that was a spark from something from the yeah. ether. Um, because that's that house that that we lived in at the time. We had all kinds of freakish experiences. Okay. Yeah. Um. With the exception of music, music has been presented by the other to humans since the beginning. Great it's point. A, it's ephemeral. Mm-hmm. But you have melodies that have been written down in human notation that supposedly came from the fairies. Absolutely. That they were heard by a musician. Uh, Turla O'Carlin of Ireland. Um, there's a melody that he wrote down. There's um, London Dairy Air, which I think sounds like London Dairy Air, London's <laughs> ass, but that's not what it is. There's a place in Ireland called London Dairy. I'm saying that just in case my Irish friends hear that and want to smack me, but there's <laughs> London Dairy. And then air, meaning, you know, a melody that's freely yep. floating. That one is supposedly from the fairies. Um, I've experienced spectral music like that. We used to hear flute, singing, and drums. Inside our our little house, the freezing cold, falling down the hill house, um, you'd hear it and then you'd be like, oh, there!" you know, when we first moved there, we were like, ha, there must be hippies that live, you know. Across the way, you know, just past those session. woods. Yeah, and yep. they're having a jam session. We realized later that we were the hippies in the woods because <laughs> everybody else around us was farmers and they went to bed at like nine. <laughs> they were they were tired. They 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 worked hard. So it wasn't any of our those neighbors, it was different neighbors. And but what we realized is we would go outside to kind of figure out which direction it was coming from and then we couldn't hear it we go back inside and it would start up again or wow, it would be going so and we go outside not hear it come back in and it's still going weird i was like did some this jackass not- stick a radio in our like attic <laughs> and it's underneath that blowing in insulation crap that does nothing 
seriously? Mm-hmm. I mean, we we I even went up there and sort of you know dug around and yeah. nothing, nothing. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. And besides, so it didn't funny. sound like anything that was going to be on the radio. It was no, and it, yeah. yeah. So I've but actually I, heard the music, so I can say yes, there is art that has been given to us, but I think their biggest art form is humans. I think that's beautiful because I was just like, you just made me like one of the things I say, I don't have very many paranormal experiences. Like the only ones I have close are via my kids uh, seeing some ghost cats and stuff like that, that are really fun. But, yeah. uh, but I've said a bunch of times that I feel like I do touch what you people would call the paranormal when I really am in that kind of flow creative state. I feel like yeah. it's touching the same thing. And so, yeah, there's, that makes so much sense that we are the, you know, the creative expression of the other. I love that. That's uh, I, I think so. I really do. Uh, and, you know, like the, a couple of my newer pieces of art that I've done for episodes, um, I, are gorgeous. Thank you. I do yeah. I do a thing where I let the other as a possibility come in. Um and it has to do with starting abstract mm-hmm. and then looking at the shapes, looking at the pareidolia that's yes. in it, and then refining it over and over through layers. Watercolor is so easy to do that with. I should have done it years ago. Don't know why I didn't. Probably because I was afraid of it because you can't control it. But that's the point. I used to do this with acrylics. I used to load my a big brush, big round brush, so like a size 10 or a 12. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, on a 18 by 12 by 18 canvas. So, you know, a small canvas, big brush. Load it with four colors of uh, uh, acrylic, fairly heavy body, and then start swirling it on the canvas in these just sort of lazy swirls. And as I worked and added more paint to it, you know, if you overwork it, you're going to get mud. Mm -hmm. If you don't pick your colors wisely, you're going to get mud. You got to do with (laughs) the, you got to do the adjacent Colors, you can't be doing like complementary colors and then swirling it too much because you're going to get poop. You're going to get poop. Yep. <laughs> it's, you're going to get poop. That's my five-year-old's favorite color. He says, squirt them all on, Dad. I want to make the poop. I said, yep. Okay. See, there you go. <laughs> the child is going to yeah. understand that you don't need to have black because if you put all the colors, you're going to get it. You got black. And it's a exactly. better shade of black than, you know, Mars black or carbon black. Way richer. Yep. 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 Because you're going to get little bits and pieces of the other colors showing exactly. up. But whatever. I digress. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I would do that. And then I would see shapes coming out. And I would start to see... You know, Michelangelo used to say he saw the figures in the block of, of marble. Yep. They carve them out. And so he would get rid of all the marble that wasn't necessary and bring them out. That's what I did. I mean, I'm not, Michael, I'm not Michelangelo <laughs> at all. But that's what I did with the swirls in the the acrylics. So I I would find it was usually goddess forms, mm-hmm. um, sometimes animals, and and I just pull them out and paint them yep. in. I never, for the longest time, started with a drawing underneath. Never. Then I then I you know now over years I've changed and I do all kinds of other stuff that's weird. But a yep. lot of times I still don't start with a drawing. Totally. Um, and, That's but this amazing. The, but watercolor, even easier to do that with. 
Because you can because, really just let it go. Yep. Let it go. Let it do its thing. There's different processes you can do to it. Like, you know, you can let it be damp and then throw some water on it mm-hmm. so that it pushes it in different directions. You oh, can put yeah. salt on it so it pulls it in different directions. You can I was put just alcohol say the salt on it. Thing. Yeah. Yep. That, that was alcohol, my favorite as a kid. Yeah. You can do all kinds of stuff and it'll put shapes in there. And then you come back and you look at it and you go, ah, it needs some more color. So you do another layer of watercolor and do processes to it on top of it. And you keep going until you yeah. find the pictures. And that's the last, the last episode's art is exact. That's how I did it. That's I just one kept of my finding you posted. If, if, if you want, you can post it with this episode, um, Perfect. but you find faces and you find shapes and it went with exactly what we had been talking about. I honestly yes. started that piece of art before we talked and it was just in the abstract stage at that point. Amazing. And you want to know something that's even funnier as a little synchronicity to this whole thing? What started this conversation, the visionary artist that I referenced, uh, one, he goes by the name ungoogleable Michelangelo because his name is Michelangelo. (laughs) And if you Google Michelangelo art, all you get is Michelangelo from right. (laughs) So, and uh, he calls himself, he doesn't call himself a visionary artist. That's what I call him because it's easier for people to understand. He calls himself a artist of the pareidolia or a pareidological artist or something. And he, his method is exactly what you just described, like almost to a, to a T. And it used to be a lot more like, he used to work in a lot more of the kind of Alex Gray visionary style. Oh yeah. But via his communications with like these mantises and stuff, he went to this pareidolia because he started finding this beautiful value in pareidolia and like how you can Mm -hmm. find essentially you can find art in nature and he so much of what you just said resonates so it's so funny that like i didn't mention any of that but you just went down exactly what he would have uh you know said started that whole conversation and it's like he was a part of it yeah i I think it's great again there's a particle over here and a particle over there and they're yep. still tied together, even if they're at opposite ends of the universe, uh, and they still interact and act yes. upon and against and with each other. So, absolutely, it's all. I physics. think this it is. <laughs> I think this is like a beautiful place to wrap this up. Barbara, I think so that's too. cool with you because yes. I, I that was a beautiful button to put on it, and this was just such a great conversation. I feel it was so re- much fun. Awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I feel very inspired and like really excited to kind of uh, continue my day here. And Good. Yeah, I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of uh, creative work for other people I have to do. And sometimes it's hard to get into that inspired state when doing work for, you know, things that aren't yeah, just yourself. Yeah, so. I know. I know. <laughs> it's nice to have these conversations as a prep because now I feel like extra motivated. And this was just so wonderful. Thank you again for doing Thank it. You. Thanks for having me. I, of course, I'm, I don't get to talk about art very much, so this is exciting. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we got to do it again because I didn't okay. even get to. I mean, I feel like we just really started getting into the art stuff in the last right. uh, forty minutes here. So but that's okay. Def- definitely <laughs> love can, to have you back on. Definitely, and I'd love to have you on, and maybe we can introduce my like uh, audience into your art and stuff yeah. too. So. Anytime. That would be a dream come true. I love your podcast. The episode you just did with Josh on Weird Christmas was my favorite thing to listen to this week. So oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, Thank no, you. It's, uh, you you got to go into uh, real life Santa Claus encounters, which is like my favorite thing in the world. So and and they do exist. I I have a a contact who his first weird thing was he saw Santa at four, and I'm like I'm not going to disabuse him of this. He's no. like you know maybe I didn't, but I I think I did. You know I'm like I believe you. I don't have any reason there, not to is something so powerful about the way we talk to kids about Santa and belief. Even when you do the like big, you know, you might have to tell them Santa's not real one year. You still usually lead, or at least it was done to me where it's like Santa as a concept is real and you can believe in Santa, but he's not a physical being that comes in. You know, that's usually the story. That's like such a big, ah, there's just so much power in that idea that like you can believe in something and something is real without being physical that like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense that that would manifest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course it would. And, and you know, <laughs> of course, then we get into this whole thing of, well, you, you know, you can believe in Santa and he's not real, but he's real. And then, then it's like, why is it so hard to believe in other things that are real but not real? Okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to go over here and not upset my parents and <laughs> talking about exactly. these things and just go... Go read a book. I'm yeah. going to read a book. I'm just going to read a book. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Barbara. Tell everybody where to find you. I'll link everything you would like below. But yeah, please tell people where to listen to your awesome podcast and everything else that you have, the beautiful art you make, everything. Okay. So I, you know, you can listen to the podcast on our website, sixdegreesofjohnkeel.com. It's six, like a, a number. And the rest of it is all letters, all lowercase spelled out. Six degrees of John Keel Don dot com. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as 60JK, I think six seven, and then at Instagram. But you can just probably look up six degrees of John Keel on Instagram and find me. And then I'm Barbara Fisher with a string of numbers after it. But if you look up six degrees of John Keel, you'll find me as Barbara Fisher too, because and I do put different art and different photographs on each of those those uh, accounts. Um, awesome. Sometimes it's the same thing. Sometimes you'll see something twice, but the explanation is different. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, and then on Facebook, I'm on Facebook as Six Degrees of John Keel. And uh, also as Barbara Fisher, probably with some numbers. I don't know. But mm-hmm. you can find me. And then there's uh, Barbara Fisher Mixed Media on Facebook. I don't update that one as much anymore, but there's still a whole pile of different pieces that I've done over the years and, and different types of media and stuff. So you can look at it and get an idea of the weird stuff I do. So perfect. There we are. Thank you so much. I'm going to link all of that below and uh, yeah, everybody go check everything out that Barbara just mentioned and I'll talk to you soon, Barbara. Thank you again. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye.